Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, and welcome to the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast. I'm your host, John Joseph Adams. Our story this week is Flower, Mercy, Needle, Chain by Yoon Ha Lee. It's read for you by Stefan Rudnicki. Yoon Ha Lee's work has appeared in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, Clark's World, Fantasy Magazine, Idiomancer, Lady Churchill's Rosebud Wristlet, Farago's Wainscot, Beneath Ceaseless Skies, Electric Philosophy, and Sybil's Garage. She's also appeared in the anthology's 20 epics, Japanese Dreams, In Lands That Never Were, The Way of the Wizard, The Year's Best Fantasy No. 6, and Science Fiction, The Best of 2002. Her poetry has appeared in such venues as Jabberwocky, Strange Horizons, Starline, Mythic Delirium, and Goblin Fruit. Learn more at pegasus.cityofvales.com. Before we get to the story, here's a brief introduction by the author. Hello, I'm Ian Hawley. This story, Flower, Needle, Mercy, Chain, came to me as a result of reading some different things. The first is Daniel Dennett's Freedom Evolves, which I haven't finished yet, but which makes the really tantalizing claim that determinism and free will are not mutually incompatible. I also got some inspiration from game books, which I've loved for a long time. Fighting Fantasy, Choose Your Own Adventure, I think I even read a Dragonlance one back in the day. Uh, I chose not to write in that format, but um, it was really, really tempting. I also wanted to blow some imaginary things up. Normally I would go to computer games for that, but um, I am really bad at most of the modern computer games out there, so writing is a much more reliable way of doing that. Whether your taste runs to philosophical questions or big bad weapons, or both, I hope you enjoy the story. Okay, thanks Yoon. I hope you enjoy this story, and if you do, I hope you'll go to our website at lightspeedmagazine.com and leave a comment. Just click on Fiction, find this story, and then leave a comment there. Or if you'd like to help spread the word, go to iTunes, find the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast, and leave a review or rating there. Well, that about does it for this week's intro, so without further ado, let's make the jump to Lightspeed. Flower, Mercy, Needle, Chain by Yoon Ha Lee The usual fallacy is that in every universe, many futures splay outward from any given moment. But in some universes, determinism runs backwards. Given a universe's state, S, at some time, T, there are multiple previous states that may have resulted in S. In some universes, all possible pasts funnel toward a single fixed ending, Omega. If you are of a millenarian bent, you might call Omega Armageddon. If you are of grammatical bent, 
You might call it punctuation on a cosmological scale. If you are a philosopher in such a universe, you might call Omega inevitable. The woman has haunted Black Wheel Station for as long as anyone remembers, although she was not born there. She is human, and her straight black hair and brown-black eyes suggest an ancestral inheritance tangled up with tigers and shape-shifting foxes. Her native language is not spoken by anyone here or elsewhere. They say her true name means things like gray and ash and grave. You may buy her a drink, bring her candied petals or chaotic metals, but it's all the same. She won't speak her name. That doesn't stop people from seeking her out. Today it's a man with mirror-colored eyes. He is the first human she has seen in a long time. Aragon's flower, he says. It isn't her name, but she looks up. Aragon's flower is the gun she carries. The stranger has taken on a human face to talk to her, and he is almost certainly interested in the gun. The gun takes different shapes, but at this end of time, origami multiplicity of form surprises more by its absence than its presence. Sometimes the gun is long and sleek, sometimes heavy and blunt. In all cases, it bears its maker's mark on the stock, a blossom with three petals falling away and a fourth about to follow. At the blossom's heart is a character that itself resembles a flower with knotted roots. The character's meaning is the gun's secret. The woman will not tell it to you, and the gunsmith, Aragon, is generations gone. Everyone knows what I guard, the woman says to the mirror-eyed man. I know what it does, he says, and I know that you come from people who worship their ancestors. Her hand, on a glass of water two degrees from freezing, stops, slides to her side where the holster is. That's dangerous knowledge, she says. So he's figured it out. Her people's historians call Aragon's flower the ancestral gun. They weren't referring to its age. The man smiles politely and doesn't take a seat uninvited. Small courtesies matter to him because he is not human. His mind may be housed in a superficial fortress of flesh, but the busy computations that define him are inscribed in a vast other space. The man says, I can hardly be the first constructed sentience to come to you. She shakes her head. It's not that. Do computers like him have souls, she wonders. She is certain he does, which is potentially inconvenient. I'm not for hire. It's important, he says. It always is. They want chancellors dead, or generals, discarded lovers, or rival reincarnates, bodhisattvas, or bosses, all the old tawdry stories. People, in all the broad and narrow senses of the term. The reputation of Aragon's flower is quite specific, if mostly wrong. Is it, she says. Ordinarily, she doesn't talk to her petitioners at all. Ordinarily, she ignores them through one glass, two, three, four, like a child learning the hard way that you can't outcount infinity. There was a time when more of them tried to force the gun away from her. 
The woman was a dualist and a killer before she tangled her life up with the flower, though. And the flower comes with its own defenses, including the woman's inability to die while she wields it. One of the things she likes about Black Wheel is that the administrators promised that they would dispose of any corpses she produced. Black Wheel is notorious for keeping promises. The man waits a little longer, then says, Will you hear me out? You should be more afraid of me, she says, if you really know what you claim to know. By now, the other people in the bar, none of them human, are paying attention. A musician whose instrument is made of fossilized wood and silk strings, a magister with a sea-rack mane, engineers with their sketches hanging in the air, and a single doodled starship at the boundary. The sole exception is the tattooed traveler dozing in the corner, dreaming of distant moons. In no hurry, the woman draws the flower and points it at the man. She is aiming it not at his absent heart, but at his left eye. If she pulled the trigger, she would pierce him through the false pupil. The musician continues plucking plangent notes from the instrument. The others, seeing the gun, gawk for only a moment before hastening out of the bar, as if that would save them. Yes, the man says, outwardly unshaken. You could damage my lineage badly. I could name programmers all the way back to the first people who scratched a tally of birds or rocks. The gun's muzzle moves precisely, horizontally. Now the right eye. The woman says, You've convinced me that you know. You haven't convinced me not to kill you. It's half a bluff. She wouldn't use the flower, not for this. But she knows many ways to kill. There's another one, he says. I don't want to speak of it here, but will you hear me out? She nods once, curtly. Covered by her palm, engraved silver bright in a language nobody else reads or writes, is the word ancestor. Once upon a universe, an empress's favored duelist received a pistol from the empress's own hand. The pistol had a stock of silver gilt and niello, an efflorescence of vines framing the maker's mark. The gun had survived four dynasties with all their rebellions and coups. It had accompanied the imperial arsenal from homeworld to homeworld. Of the ancestral pistol, the empire's archives said two things. Do not use this weapon, for it is nothing but peril, and this weapon does not function. In a reasonable universe, both statements would not be true. The man follows the woman to her suite, which is on one of Blackwheel's tidier levels. The sitting room, comfortable but not luxurious by Blackwheeler standards, accommodates a couch sized to human proportions, a metal table shined to blurry reflectivity, a vase in the corner. There are also two paintings, on silk, rather than some less ancient substrate. One is of a mountain by night, serenely anonymous amid its stylized clouds. The other, in a completely different style, consists of a cavalcade of shadows. Only after several moments' study do the shadows assemble themselves into a face. Neither painting is signed. Sit, the woman says. The man does. Do you require a name, he asks. Yours are the targets. 
I have a name for occasions like this, he says. It is Zhu Karang. You haven't asked me my name, she remarks. I'm not sure that's a meaningful question, Karang says. If I'm not mistaken, you don't exist. Wearily, she says, I exist in all the ways that matter. I have volume and mass and volition. I drink water that tastes the same every day as water should. I kill when it moves me to do so. I've unwritten death into the history of the universe. His mouth tilts up at unwritten. Nevertheless, he says, your species never evolved. You speak a language that is not even dead. It never existed. Many languages are extinct. To become extinct, something has to exist first. The woman folds herself into the couch next to him. Not close, but not far. It's an old story, she says. What is yours? Four of Aragon's guns are still in existence, Karang says. The woman's eyes narrow. I had thought it was three. Aragon's flower is the last, the gunsmith's final work. The others she knows of are Aragon's mercy, which always kills the person shot, and Aragon's needle, which removes the target's memories of the wielder. One more has surfaced, Karang says. The character in the Maker's Mark resembles a sword in chains. They are already calling it Aragon's chain. What does it do, she says, because he will tell her anyway. This one kills the commander of whoever is shot, Karang says. If that's anyone at all. Admirals, ministers, monks, school teachers. It's a peculiar sort of loyalty test. Now she knows. You want me to destroy the chain. Once upon a universe, a dualist named Chiron took up the gun that an empress with empiricist tendencies had given her. I don't understand how a gun that doesn't work could possibly be perilous, the empress said. She nodded at a sweating man bound in monofilament so that he would dismember himself if he tried to flee. This man will be executed anyway. His name struck from the roster of honored ancestors. See if the gun works on him. Chiron fired the gun and woke in a city she didn't recognize, whose inhabitants spoke a dialect she had never heard before, whose technology she mostly recognized from historical dramas. The calendar they used at least was familiar. It told her that she was 857 years too early. No amount of research changed the figure. Later, Chiron deduced that the man she had executed traced his ancestry back 857 years to a particular individual. Most likely that ancestor had performed some extraordinary deed to join the aristocracy and had, by the reckoning of Chiron's people, founded his own line. Unfortunately, Chiron didn't figure this out before she accidentally deleted the human species. Yes, Karang says, I have been charged with preventing further assassinations. Aragon's chain is not a threat I can afford to ignore. Why didn't you come earlier then, Chiron says. After all, the chain might have lain dormant, but the others... I've seen the mercy and the needle, he says, by which he means that he's copied data from those who have. They're beautiful. He isn't referring to beauty in the way of shadows fitting together into a woman's profile 
or beauty in the way of sun-colored liquor at the right temperature in a faceted glass. He means the beauty of logical strata, of the crescendo of axiom-axiom-corollary proof, of quod erat demonstrandum. Any gun or shard of glass could do the same as the mercy, Chiron says, understanding him, and drugs and dream scalpels will do the needle's work, given time and expertise, but surely you could say the same of the chain. She stands again and takes the painting of the mountain down and rolls it tightly. I was born on that mountain, she says. Something like it is still there, on a birth world very like the one I knew. But I don't think anyone paints in this style. Perhaps some art historian would recognize its distant cousin. I am no artist, but I painted it myself, because no one else remembers the things I remember. And now you would have it start again. How many bullets have you used? Karang asks. It is not that the flower requires special bullets. It adapts even to emptiness. It is that the number matters. Chiron laughs, low, almost husky. She knows better than to trust Karang, but she needs him to trust her. She pulls out the flower and rests it in both palms so that he can look at it. Three petals fallen, a fourth about to follow. That's not the number, but he doesn't realize it. You've guarded it so long, he says, inspecting the maker's mark without touching the gun. I will guard it until I am nothing but ice, Chiron says. You may think that the chain is a threat, but if I remove it, there's no guarantee that you will still exist. It's not the chain I want destroyed, Karang says gently. It's Aragon. Do you think I would have come to you for anything less? Chiron says into the awkward quiet after a while, So you tracked down descendants of Aragon's line. His silence is assent. There must be many. Aragon's flower destroys the target's entire ancestral line, altering the past but leaving its wielder untouched. In the empire Chiron once served, the history spoke of Aragon as an honored guest. Chiron discovered long ago that Aragon was no guest, but a prisoner forced to forge weapons for her captors. How Aragon was able to create weapons of such novel destructiveness, no one knows. The flower was Aragon's clever revenge against the people whose state religion involved ancestor worship. If descendants of Aragon's line exist here, then Aragon herself can be undone and all her guns unmade. Chiron will no longer have to be an exile in this timeline, although it is true that she cannot return to the one that birthed her either. Chiron snaps the painting taut. The mountain disintegrates. But she lost it lifetimes ago. Silent lightning crackles through the air, unknots Zhu Karang from his human-shaped shell, tessellates dead-end patterns across the equations that make him who he is. The painting had other uses, as do the other things in this room. She believes in versatility. But this is good enough. Karang's body slumps on the couch. Chiron leaves it there. For the first time in a long time, she is leaving Black Wheel Station. What she does not carry, she can buy on the way. And Black Wheel is loyal because they know, and they know not to offend her. 
Black Wheel will keep her suite clean and undisturbed, and deliver water, near freezing in an elegant glass, night after night, waiting. Kerrang was a pawn by his own admission. If he knew what he knew, and lived long enough to convey it to her, then others must know what he knew, or be able to find it out. Kerrang did not understand her at all. Chiron unmazes herself from the station to seek passage to one of the hub worlds where she can begin her search. If Chiron had wanted to seek revenge on Aragon, she could have taken it years ago. But she will not be like Aragon. She will not destroy an entire timeline of people, no matter how alien they are to her. Chiron had hoped that matters wouldn't come to this. She acknowledges her own naivete. There is no help for it now. She will have to find and murder each child of Aragon's line. In this way, she can protect Aragon herself, protect the accumulated sum of history, in case someone outwits her after all this time and manages to take the flower from her. In a universe where determinism runs backwards, where no matter what you do, everything ends in the same inevitable omega, choices still matter, especially if you are the last guardian of an incomparably lethal gun. Although it has occurred to Chiron that she could have accepted Karang's offer, and that she could have sacrificed this timeline in exchange for the one in which neither Aragon nor the guns ever existed, she declines to do so, for there will come a heat death, and she is beginning to wonder if a constructed sentience, a computer, can have a soul, what of the universe itself, the greatest computer of all? In this universe, they reckon her old. Chiron is older than even that. In millions of timelines, she has lived to the pallid end of life. In each of those endings, Aragon's flower is there, as integral as an edge is to a blade. While it is true that science never proves anything absolutely, that an inconceivably large but finite number of experiments always pales beside infinity, Chiron feels that millions of timelines suffice as proof. Without Aragon's flower, the universe cannot renew itself and start a new story. Perhaps that is all the reason the universe needs. And Chiron will be there when the heat death arrives, as many times as necessary. So Chiron sets off. It is not the first time she has killed, and it is unlikely to be the last. But she is not, after all this time, incapable of grieving. This has been a production of Lightspeed Magazine in association with Skyboat Road Company, Inc., to subscribe to this podcast, comment on this story, or read additional stories from Lightspeed Magazine, please visit lightspeedmagazine.com. Thanks for listening.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.